Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox, the Ethical Panda. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Today, we're talking about Minute 2, which begins with our scientists setting up their instruments, and it ends with Darcy pointing out some lights in the sky. Andy, what really grabbed you about this minute? Two things grabbed me. One, it's the science. Like, we're jumping into a lot of science-y stuff, continuing what we started in, in our last minute. But two, the other thing that's, that's jumping out to me is Jane Foster, a scientist? Like, that's, that's an interesting change that they've made with this character from the comics. Yeah, and here's where I think it's going to be really fun to have you and I discussing this movie together, because one of the things that I've always found fascinating about Marvel is I think Marvel has done the best job of any any of these people who try tried to do this of making movies and TV shows that are adapted from pre-existing written work, uh, comic books, which have always had a small but very, you know, rabid fan base, and I mean that in the best possible way, and making movies that both honor the stuff that they have that that went before and that that makes the people who knows uh that stuff really happy with some complaints every now and then but also is accessible to folks who hadn't read the comic books and i'm uh i've been reading more to catch up but i'm very much in that filthy casual kind of standpoint and so i love that that we have that back and forth and we're gonna get other folks on who who really know the comics as well so for me, this is the first time I ever meet Jane Foster. Uh, what was it like for you, Andy, having known like Jane Foster in obviously very different settings? Because um, uh, this is not the Jane Foster from the comics in a lot of ways. No, it's not. And just, I mean, as as we said in in our um, the last of our hiatus episodes, like I had not read any Thor comics before coming mm, into this true. movie. I read them afterward. But I did know some basics of characters and stuff like that. And so... Thor, I knew who Thor was, um, and he was one of those, you know, in my head, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I had those, um, you know, Marvel and DC would both put out these, um, it was a comic series that was like a, a, uh, almost like an encyclopedia of all their characters. Mm-hmm. And I loved those. I just loved reading kind of like about all these characters, even if I hadn't read their comics and Thor, I had a sense of who he was and his Donald Blake persona that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Um, but also the fact that Jane Foster was this nurse that he, um, his doctor persona, um, worked with. And that was right. definitely an interesting change here. And I, I don't know. I, I guess it, it wasn't something that like stood out to me like, Oh my God, they're really changing Jane up. You know, it wasn't anything like that, but it's just like, it's Natalie Portman. It's a smart scientist. I was like, there's, I liked that. It felt like a, a, a shift that, uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was a very strong choice for them to make. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think it's, again, it's something I think that overall Marvel has done fairly well is that these stories are all wonderful stories that are often, you know, written in a very different time. The Thor, Thor one started coming out, I believe, in the 60s and, you know, a lot in the 70s and 80s. And the role that women characters play in stories has changed rather dramatically since then. And and comic books, like a lot of media from that time, you know, the, the, the damsel in distress was a very common motif. And I think, you know, around some racial stuff, around gender stuff, around other things, I think one thing Marvel does very well is saying, you know what, let's give this character who is kind of a, uh, you know, the, the, the woman to save, the plot device, let's give her some more agency. Let's give her more of a role. And so having it be Jane, who's not just the, you know, this could easily be Selvig is the kind of real leader and she's his, you know, key student who's kind of, and he's the exposition machine and she's learning. 
but to have her be the one who's driving things. And I, I always got the idea that kind of maybe he was her like PhD advisor, you know, like he's an older scientist who kind of looks out for her, but sh- this is her research. This is her project. Yeah, and I, yeah. I just think that's such a, uh, a great kind of way to modernize the character in a really powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what is her research? Do we know much about that? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm not actually sure. Uh, but she's an astrophysicist, as as we'll learn in the minute. She, we know she's doing some sort of study of auroras, because as at some point Eric will say to her, uh, you know, that's not just a subtle aurora and that you had been talking about. There's something a lot more that is happening now, but that seems to be what she had been studying. And we get in this minute as she's as she's trying to figure out what what's happened because what she was expecting to happen doesn't happen she jumps onto her computer and starts flipping through uh it says aurora catalog new mexico which uh, i'm assuming it's hers and i'm assuming it's cataloging these 17 occurrences that she has talked about of these auroras that you get in new mexico which i mean anyone who knows anything about the aurora borealis it is very rare for it to appear as far south as New Mexico. Generally, it's up near the Arctic Circle. It only yeah. is in the cases of, and I'm not even sure what it is, but like solar, uh, kind of solar particles that kind of hit the atmosphere that actually kind of push it that far south. So it's very rare, And but she's had 17 so far in New Mexico and is expecting this other one. And so I'm not exactly sure why she's studying these or or what, but I mean, we know that there's something in the air that she's looking at. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting to note, I think, uh, Brana, he really wanted to learn more about uh, auroras, you know, and apparently he had people from the film crew, like during the years of, you know, they had a couple of years of like casting and figuring out sets and writing it and all. And during that time, he was collecting pictures of auroras from all over the world because he really wanted to kind of get the look of that right. Which, again, you know, if you ask me, what is it supposed to look like? When an alien god lands on Earth, none of us know. It could look like anything they wanted. And the fact that Branagh wanted it to look like something that, you know, that at first uh, she would be able to say, wow, this this does fit with most of science, but it's a little different. I just think that was a – it's so much work for that tiny little detail, and I, I love that kind of thing. Yeah, right. It's, it's very cool. Obviously now – Jane is also not being played by some newbie. Uh, it's Jane is played by Natalie Portman, who I think, maybe other than Anthony Hopkins, I think was probably the biggest star at the time of this movie was made. Is, is that is that is that because like, Chris Hemsworth was a mostly unknown. Tom Hiddleston had done some things, but was mostly unknown. You know, Rene Russo playing their mother had some star power, but wasn't was a smaller part. Yeah, Stellan Skarsgård was a name. Like, I mean, he had been in stuff people knew him but he was kind right. of always that supporting character sort of guy at least in the u.s i know he was probably like if you go over to europe you might see him uh, popping up as the lead in a lot more films and i feel like this movie was made at such an interesting point in natalie portman's career because she'd done some great stuff i mean she started with leon or the professional which is um a wonderful movie very disturbing role in some ways she played but at least my mar- and, and then she'd been in some things like zoolander she'd been in v for vendetta which was fantastic but my memory is, at least especially in geeky circles, the kind of people who are most drawn to this movie, I and I think a lot of us mostly remembered her for the Star Wars prequels, which was not the um, – I think much more the – like, to me, it's a it's a, a sign of, of how badly directed those movies are that they could make a, an actress as powerful as her look so bad. But 
I remembered I had a lot of hesitation about her because I, I felt like that was the thing that she was most remembered for, especially in kind of geeky circles. So I, I feel like this is a very important movie in her career in that regard. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it's, um, you know, I think it says a lot that uh, she's coming back to do the next Thor film. I think it's going to be nice to have her returning in uh, Thor Love and Thunder. I'm very much looking forward to that. Definitely, definitely. Something that I always liked to do that I hope you'll uh, give me a, a moment to do uh, for for the actors as they pop up in this particular film. But I always loved playing the IMDb game when mm-hmm. when we do the actors. Uh, IMDb, uh, anyone who's visited their site, it says that for each performer, they you know what they're known for. And it lists four films and it's there's some algorithm that no one's ever quite figured out, like, you know, how do they pick those particular four films for that particular person? Um, do you have any idea what they would put up there for Natalie Portman? The fact that I'm looking at it means I would be cheating mm, if I answer that. Right? That would probably. <laughs> yes, that would probably not work. But it's interesting, right? I mean, Black Swan, that makes sense. She won an Oscar for that film. V right. for Vendetta, as you as you pointed out, was a kind of a big film for her. Uh, Leon the Professional, one of, uh, like her first real big performance where she's doing some setting the stage for what she could accomplish. And then Closer, which is such an interesting one to kind of throw on there as the fourth film. Like, uh, it's an interesting ensemble film. Would I have picked it there? No, I would have put something else, you know? So it's a, it's a surprise that that's the one uh, that ends up being her fourth film on there. Definitely. And I, I wonder if, if the, the, the agents have any control of that, because certainly I feel like, as I said, for a large segment of the population, you mentioned the name Natalie Portman, and the two things that are probably going to come to mind most are Thor and Star Wars. And I, I, I imagine a number of publicists and agents have tried very hard to make sure that uh, Ms. Portman is primarily associated not with those Star Wars movies. I don't know if that's a part of the... the of this at all, but I do think it's an interesting thing. I don't think so. I don't think that anyone other than IMDb has any control over how they're choosing their algorithms. You know, is it the popularity? Is it how much money they made? Is it the kind of the uh, how it's affected the cultural zeitgeist? I just don't know. But it's it's always there's always some interesting elements that they end up uh, kind of using that are kind of influencing how they're picked. So having watched Entourage, I have a little more suspicion that some agents might be doing some search engine optimization stuff that might clue in. <laughs> they may know the, uh, but but who knows? And I I, I will end my uh, uh, suspicions there. <laughs> so we get her character, who's obviously going to be a, a major part of this movie. The other one who really jumped out at me watching is Darcy Lewis, because I think of Darcy Lewis as such a great a reminder as I watch this movie, because I think until a year and a half ago, if you asked me who Darcy Lewis was, I would have had no idea who you were talking about. I, you, If you said, oh, yeah, the sarcastic college student who's part of Thor, I'd be like, oh, OK, yeah, that person. To me now, Darcy Lewis is, I think, probably my favorite character, or my second favorite character from the WandaVision TV show that came out. And I think that's, to me, you talk about a deep bench, such a great thing that, that I think we have like a 10-year stretch between Thor 2 and this movie where, where uh, Darcy is just not included at all. And so knowing that, I'm really enjoying getting to go back and see Darcy from the very beginning and see like, oh, yeah, this is where she comes from in the MCU. Yeah. Knowing where she's going to wind up in, in WandaVision. Right, right. Yeah, not quite. It's like eight years, eight years separating the two. Okay. But still, it's, it was quite a quite a disappearance <laughs> for her. So it's nice to have. It was so nice to see her pop up in WandaVision. Uh-huh. Uh, since we're talking about Kat Dennings and her, without you going to IMDb and looking, can you say what would be the four films that they say she is known for? And I should say four projects. It's not always just I was going to say, yeah, if it's not films, I think the first thing she'd thought of is Two Broke Girls. Okay. Um, 
the the TV show that I know she was very involved in. I just have this mental image of her in like the the waitress outfit that you just has, especially because it's become part of so many memes and stuff like that. Beyond that, I have no idea. I know I I think about her. Uh, I used to get her confused with the actress who plays Jessica Jones because they both have kind of a similar look, uh, you know, in terms of like the dark hair, pale skin, uh, kind of almost like a little bit of gothy look and, um, you know, the sarcasm and stuff like that. But I now know they're, they're two very different actresses. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't think I know too much about uh, Ms. Denning's career. What else has she been in? Well, the first thing that they have, which is such a great film if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you check it out. It's called Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. He plays okay. Nora. And uh, she is that, a delight. Yeah, fantastic. The second one is Thor. And the third one okay. is Thor of the Dark World. So there you go. Uh, though She gets some love for her appearances in these two films. And the fourth one is a small film called Charlie Bartlett, which uh, oh, you know I, I haven't seen. I remember when it came out, kind of it, it got a little bit of buzz. I think it was about a um, a boy, Anton Yelchin is the, is the lead. And I can't remember what he, like he kind of becomes like a counselor in his high school, like counseling all the kids with problems. And, uh, you know, I, if anything, I'd say, there's an odd little MCU crossover in that film because Kat Dennings is in it, along with Robert Downey Jr. I think Tom Hiddleston currently has the record for the most projects that he's been in with other Marvel stars. But I imagine <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is is a close second just because he's been in so many things for a very prolific career. Right, right. Yeah, no kidding. And it is interesting to me that that neither um, Two Broke Girls or WandaVision is mentioned because I know she's often talked about as one of the breakout stars of, of WandaVision. But yeah, you're right, because Two Broke Girls does seem like, like I, I mean, that was the other thing that if anything I associated with Kat Dennings, it was that TV show. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's been interesting, in this minute we don't learn too much, we don't see too much about her, but as we go on, I think in the next couple of minutes, but also in the rest of the movie, I do feel like this version of her character is very different than the one we get in WandaVision. And that's something I'm going to be wanting to kind of keep an eye on to see, like, what are the elements of that character, like the sarcasm, the cynicism that stick around but also, I mean, here in that she is she is a part of the world. She she is a, a focus and a scientist here. She is like, you know, she cares about the college credits and she doesn't want to die. Like, yeah. And so I think that's going to be a fun thing to keep an eye on is how how do we see that character really grow and change over that time? Absolutely. I mean, I love that you're know, right out of the gate. One of the first things that we have her doing is giving just a fantastic eye roll. You know, she is clearly bored in this internship. She's just like right. rolling her eyes as as uh, Jane and Eric pop the top open and kind of hop out to look at uh, yeah. you know, put their scientific equipment up. And she's just like sitting here rolling her eyes. I just like Th that's that just so great. That moment of like the most amazing scientific discovery in human history may be about to be made. And what's her, what's her line? Can I turn on the radio? <laughs> right. Um, and, and I say that because that would be me. That would be the <laughs> one who'd be like, okay, it's going to happen, but right now I'm kind of bored. Can we just, you know, like I, I'd be checking my phone if this was it, funny to think that even 10 years ago, like checking your phone, not a thing yet, but, um, yeah, you know, one, one little more moment there. Interested in chatting with like-minded Marvel fans over on Facebook? Join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Just go to truestory.fm slash Minute and click on the link for the social of your choice. Uh, and so the last other major character we get introduced to in this moment, in this uh, minute, is Eric Selvig, uh, played by, as you said, Stellan Skarsgård. Tell us a little more about uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Well, I mean, he's just been around forever. I think... 
I mean, he had been around before this, but my first recollection of him was in Goodwill Hunting as the mm. as uh, as the teacher, and and so yeah. I've always kind of remembered him from that film first. But he certainly had been performing uh, long before that in films over in um, in Sweden, and uh, you know, very much where he's from. And if you had to say what his four films on IMDb are, do you have any ideas there? So I'm not going to know what they actually are. I'm just going to bring up the two because I have two very strong connections to him. Okay. One of which is maybe somewhat not obscure, although very much out of the Marvel sort of milieu. Uh, I'm a huge musicals guy. Uh-huh. And so for me, the first thing I think of him is that he's one of the three potential fathers in Mamma Mia. Ah. And then also in Mamma Mia 2. Um, so that's, that's one of the things I think of. The other is, uh, Odd connection. I, I recently mentioned the TV show Entourage, which is a favorite of mine. And in a pivotal moment for the career of Vinny Chase, I think this is season four, but I might be incorrect. Uh, he's trying to rebuild his career and there's a German director who just won't give this pretty boy actor the time of day. And he's, you know, it's maybe a four episode arc, but it's a very important arc in the, uh, in the show, and it's played by Stellan Skarsgård as just this like scenery chewing German actor who hates all Americans and just, <laughs> oh, how could you make me do this? And just, it is such a striking role that it's kind of funny if you think about like four episodes of one TV show I watched how many years ago. That's the thing that sticks out to me about his career. That's so that funny. And him singing on a Greek island in my own <laughs> Right, right. Uh, and, and The Hunt for Red October. I always forget that I, I remember him from that film, too. Oh, who was he in uh, that? He's one of the submarine captains. I can't remember which one, but he had been... Oh, he's the captain of the Alpha that's hunting yes, them. that's right. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. Captain Tupolev? Tupolev. Tupolev, yeah, thank yeah. you, yes. God, I never would realize that. So, okay, well, yeah. you know... Europeans in uh, in in American Hollywood, you know, if, yeah. if he's Swedish, he can do a, he can play a German accent, right. he can do Russian, you know. <laughs> Sean Connery made Russian accent Scottish, so I guess anything's possible. Right, right. But IMDb says he was known for Goodwill Hunting, which I already brought okay. up. Nymphomaniac Volume 1, which is interesting. Um, Amistad, also interesting. And then, this, oh, you yeah. should love this one, Mamma Mia. There we oh, go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I forget he's in Amistad. That's another great movie. I can't say I've seen Nymphomania. Um, if that's going to be uh, reviewed on the next reel sometime, let me know. But I'm not sure if that's uh, quite the family-friendly dynamic we want well, the podcast going. Yeah, well, certainly a little different from the Marvel crowd. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I think he's he's become one of my sort of favorite of the side characters in the movies because he's... It, to some extent, he winds up being kind of a walking exposition machine, uh, I think especially in Avengers, but he's often the guy who kind of explains the science, but he always does it in such an interesting way, and his approach is just, he is just so open-minded and fascinated by the science. Um, you know, I, one of my defining memories in uh, Avengers is that obviously he gets mind-controlled by Loki, but he's also just like... You know, he gets a chance to play with the new scientific toys that Loki offers him. And you get the sense that that's part of what sucks him in. So I'm I'm really excited to really get a, a chance to dive deep into his character because I think he's another such great, you know, just a little part of the Marvel Universe that I don't I don't think we're ever going to get a Selvig movie. And I don't really want one, <laughs> but I'm so glad to see him pop up, whatever he does. Well, and both uh, to that point, both Darcy and Eric were created specifically for the film. Like they they hadn't been in the comics. I think now, subsequently, right. like Marvel has been adding a lot of these characters into the, the comics. But yeah, they're both kind of original for this uh, film story. Um, mm-hmm. This is an interesting 
the the dynamic between these characters at this point in the vehicle is fairly interesting. And I, I think that it's certainly at this point worth talking about because, I mean, we've talked about Darcy and how she's kind of uh, dismissive of everything going on. But I'm really curious about Eric. And I, I think that, you know, it's worth talking about him here, but then also how kind of there's some additional elements in the script. I'm very curious what has gone on before between Eric and Jane. I mean, he obviously flew here at very short notice to see what she discovered. Again, that's not in the film. That's just kind of in the Marvel histories. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, I would think that she had had some concrete stuff. Again, these are all scientists. I'm sure she present he, she presented him with something concrete to get him to come here. But now right. it's so odd because she she has this she sets up this little magneto- magnetometer on her the roof of her car to do all this stuff. She's got a timer, a countdown timer. It goes five, four, three, two, one. Nothing happens, and it doesn't. Well, it doesn't happen at the Aurora. It doesn't happen at the exact second she expected it to. And his reaction is so strange in this moment. And I can only think that it's because the storytellers were trying to kind of you know, build a little tension here, right? But he's like. Right. He looks at her and she's like, Jane, you can't keep doing this. You're an astrophysicist, not some storm chaser. And I'm like, what is like, where is this coming from? It seems like so like strange for him to like seem so disappointed in her right at the start (laughs) of this film. (laughs) You know, as someone who spent a good deal of time in academia and I, I got into a PhD program and decided not to pursue it, but I have a lot of friends who went through that. It is kind of a dynamic I recognize, though, of the person who is just getting started. Like, I I think of her as kind of doing, like, postdoc work or, like, kind of recently has her PhD, and she still just wants to chase wherever the science goes. And I see him as the person who's been in academia for 30 years, and he's still now in the place of, like, okay, this might be an interesting theory, but you're not going to get this published. You know, you need to kind of settle down and and do the more sort of specific stuff. Yeah. now, the one thing that I never quite understood, and I wonder if you know more about this, is, is this purely a coincidence that they were chasing something completely unrelated? Or is it that, like, there is some degree of that Bifrost connection between Midgard and uh, Asgard, and that she's kind of kept, like, that there has been, like, little, like, you know, the door that's closed, like, has little blips, and that that's what she's been chasing, and that's why she's literally right there when the door actually opens. Do, do you know, is there a connection between her research and Asgard or is it just pure coincidence? You know, it's that's one of those things that I think is it. it if you think about it too much, it could be a little frustrating in the story because it's like that's fair. because because <laughs> well, and we'll talk about this certainly more in the next minute when we actually have an anomaly that occurs. But I think at this point, what we like, it, it, I don't know, I guess. I don't have enough sense of this world. Like every time somebody travels through the Bifrost, does that mean there's more auroras popping up in the sky? And because obviously we had frost giants, as we'll learn, frost giants sneaking into Asgard. We have uh, Thor and the Warriors 3 and and Lady Sif and Loki all going to uh, Jotunheim and then Odin going to Jotunheim and then everybody going back. Like there's all this traveling through the Bifrost over this particular period of time. And it makes me wonder, is that something, is that creating these extra auroras down in New Mexico? Is that what Jane has been studying? I don't know. It's it's so strange right. to me because it's just, it, it clearly seems different from what finally will happen in the next right. minute. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's peculiar to me, if, if anything. Yeah, I think that can be a, a a thing to remember in this minute by minute format of sometimes we want to dig deep and there's just no there there, you know? <laughs> that's and, very and, true, and, yeah. I, and I think one of the things that's happened is, I mean, 
it's funny to think this movie is only about 10, 11 years old. I'm bad with math, as I said. <laughs> um, but, but like, even now, the level of detail that filmmakers have to make because they know that the viewers are going to Google everything. Like, even back when this was made, it wasn't the case. And so I think it was possible sometimes for writers to kind of just hand wave the science in ways that we don't think of, of happening today. Or they still happen today. They just get more critique for it. Especially because you're right. Like, we know why they want the film to be set in New Mexico. Why Thor actually shows up there is something that doesn't, like, you're sort of like, well, why didn't he go to Scandinavia? Yeah. Or perhaps to, like, Western Scandinavia, which is my own home of Minnesota, which basically, you know, <laughs> as Scandinavia as you can get without, you know, crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And so, yeah, so, you know, we don't explain it, but we don't really need to until you kind of go into this depth. The thing, though, that I also think is really interesting about this is that as we've established, Darcy is the one who doesn't really care much. She just wants to get her college credits. She's kind of interested. She wants to listen to the radio. Selvig and Foster are the ones who are so focused, but then they get so much into the debate itself that it's Darcy who points out in the last line of the minute, Jane, I think you want to see this. Yeah. And, and again, I, it's comedic, but I also just thought that was such an interesting moment of the scientists get so focused on the argument that they miss the thing they're looking for, and it's Darcy who finds it. Right, exactly. And uh, it's, but it's, it's just one of those things also. It's like they're scientists, but they're also being awfully specific about something that's going to appear in the sky. And I'm like, is, is, does it work that way? Does it happen at exactly that time when you're waiting for these astronomical disturbances to take place? Uh, obviously, according to Jane, it does. But I, I found that to be such a, a, a funny little thing that, you know, she yeah. has this countdown timer and and and, and Eric is immediately disappointed <laughs> that it didn't happen. <laughs> I just like I don't know if that's how scientists work, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And there again, I, I get the sense that this is maybe the third or fourth time that Eric has flown out to chase something with with uh, uh, Jane and that maybe this was the time where he was like. I really can't keep a, my, my university is not going to keep paying for these plane tickets. Right, you know, yeah, like yeah. this is the last time. Right, right. Now, this scene is actually quite different than what's written in the script, which is interesting, I thought. Tell us a little bit about what happens in the script during this time and, and what happens there. Well, it's it, there certainly are some differences here. I mean, one, they have champagne. They're ready to kind of pop the cork as soon as this happens because they're so excited about it. And and there is more description because like what there's actually a conversation like Eric says to her. So what's this anomaly of yours supposed to look like? And Jane says it's a little different each time. Once it looked like, I don't know, melted stars pulling in a corner of the sky. But last week it was a rolling rainbow ribbon racing around Orion. And then Selvig says, I've always said you should have been a poet, uh, you know, kind of uh, teasing her. But then what's interesting is there's a little extra conversation because Jane also uh, pulls out some old gloves that, as the script points out, are too large and masculine for her small hands. And when Eric notices them, he says, I recognize those. Think how proud he'd be to see you now. And Jane's grin fades to a mm. sad smile. So, OK, there's some backstory there that we're getting about Eric and and her dad that um, there must have been some work that they had been doing together, and now she's kind right. of following in her dad's footsteps. And I, it's kind of an interesting element that we have that's never, ever brought up in the film. Well, it might would, be would later. You... I, there might be a conversation later now that I think about it. And here's where I'm torn, because on the one hand, like, granted, you know, you're just kind of dry reading it. That doesn't sound like the most page-turning dialogue I hear in the movie. <laughs> so we can kind of understand why it got cut. But if you think about it, there were two questions we were just asking. Right. One is, why is Eric so, you know, connected to Jane and, and will, you know, willing to go a lot farther beyond than, you know, a faculty advisor for a PhD would do? And 
is she actually chasing Asgard or is it a total coincidence? Well, the rainbow tells me that maybe she has seen the Bifrost in some way before. Right. Yeah. And the other, like, so it's kind of funny that what gets cut out is exactly the answer to the two <laughs> questions we were just thinking about. And I guess they keep it more mysterious by doing that, right? It's, it, I that's mean, also true. So, yeah. And I think that's something we're going to talk about a lot more is that in a lot of the dialogue in these first minutes that gets cut, I think it is to kind of preserve the mystery and wonder a little bit more. And again, let us, the audience, experience it as Jane does. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which I, th- I think is well done. Right. So that's quite a lot. Uh, is there any other kind of last things? There's a, a number of details I think we can get into. Any other kind of one or two that jump out you want to make sure we, we touch on? We talked about the Van Allen belt already, so I, I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. But I, I think that it just speaks to the nature of them kind of building these scientific pieces, like this this piece that she puts on the roof of her car looks kind of like homemade, like she's coming up with her own scientific stuff to do these studies. And so to that end, I think there's something really interesting that we have here in Jane and her approach to uh, the, her scientific research. And for me, I think the one other thing that I noticed was there's this one shot that we get for just like a second or two as the van is moving. And it's, it's this very wide, like, you know, probably like, a, uh, you know, a platform directly over the van looking down. And it looks like, you know, the eye of God looking down. And to me, knowing where we go Knowing that a, you know, a Norse god, quote unquote, Heimdall, literally does watch Earth. Like, I kind of have this feeling like that. That's the view he has, you know, which I thought was just kind of like a fun little illusion they make. Yeah, that God's eye view is is a great camera choice that Brana used periodically to kind of give us that sense. I love it. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Well, that's it for this minute, everybody. Uh, Thanks, as always. Thank you, everybody, for your support and have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music